This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 22. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Hello, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. Who do we have on the show today? So today, we're really excited to be able to talk with A.J. Giuliani, author of Inquiry and Innovation in the Classroom, Using 20% Time, Genius Hour, and PBL to Drive Student Success, as well as Learning by Choice, 10 Ways Choice and Differentiation Create an Engaged Learning Experience for Every Student. A.J. currently works as an Education and Technology Innovation Specialist at Upper Perkiomen School District in Pennsylvania. Previously, he was a K-12 technology staff developer overseeing a one-to-one initiative, a middle school ELA teacher, and a high school English teacher, as well as a football and lacrosse coach. AJ believes strongly in the inquiry-driven education movement. With four children of his own, he wants them to grow up in a world that values their ideas. Uh, Many of you may read AJ's blog. He shares his ideas and thoughts of Intentional Innovation and the Future of Learning at AJGiuliani.com. Welcome to the show, AJ. Hey, thanks for so much for having me on. You know, we are close to each other and we've uh, been able to run into uh, each other a couple different times at conferences and school visits. So I'm really excited to be on here to talk to both of you and the wonderful work you're doing at Salisbury is always awesome to see. Well, awesome to talk with you as well. And especially around this topic of inquiry-based learning, something we're all quite passionate about. Yep. In Warren Berger's uh, recent book, A More Beautiful Question, he describes a beautiful question as one that's ambitious and most importantly, actionable. So we've got, uh, we heard about two of your books here. What is the beautiful questions or or what are the beautiful questions uh, behind your books, uh, Inquiry and Innovation in the Classroom and Learning by Choice? You know, I think for us as teachers, we get in front of our students and we just 
more than anything, we want our kids to be motivated and engaged. And for me, the beautiful question um, came from my, my own being a teacher in front of 11th grade students about six years ago. And the question I was asking myself was, why don't my, why don't my students care? That was really the question that drove me to research motivation, read about Daniel Pink's uh, book Drive, and, and uh, it led to this book because it led to the 20% Project. And um, the beautiful question behind learning by choice was, how can we give students ownership in as many different ways as possible in our classroom? Because in my first book, I talk about the 20% Project and Genius Hour and how we can give students a choice and inquiry in their actual learning uh, 20% of the time or an hour of the time. But in the second book, it was more, all right, you don't have all that time. You have to cover curriculum. You, you, you have kind of uh, limitations. How can you still give students choice? And so I think that the beautiful question that we all ask as educators and teachers and leaders is, how can, we, how can we have motivated students, engaged students? And that's really what drove both those books. So making a connection to what you're saying here, you're actually participating and engaging in your own inquiry um, through this process. And you have a common thread through your books and your work. Um, I also had a chance to see you at Pete and see the, the Pennsylvania Technology Education and Expo um, conference this past February. And you talk there about learner agency. Can you share with us why you think learner agency is important and what we can do to develop it in our learners? Yeah, well, I, I think when we have students who have ownership, right, and that's really kind of the learner agency is they, they are agents. They're able to create their own learning path, so to speak. When you have students that are doing that, they're mimicking what they're going to do in the real world. Right. And and their real world is what they're having right now. So it doesn't matter if they're a 10 year old or 16 or 18 or 25. When they have choice and ownership in their learning path, that is what's going to happen to them the rest of their their life. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you, I had so many 11th grade students that were a year, a year and a half away from graduation, a year and a half away from making every decision on their own for choosing what they do every minute of their day, not having a teacher or a parent tell them what they're doing, and they had no idea what they wanted to do. And so I think too often we fail at giving some agency and some ownership to our students in the classroom, in extracurricular, in all different types. It doesn't matter if it's a tech ed or an English class or a math class. Learner agency not just doesn't just prepare students for a real world, but it prepares them to make an impact on the world right now because they have a choice and some ownership. And so I think agency is a, is a big word. It's sometimes a daunting word for, for teachers and parents to hear that. But mm -hmm. really it's about letting students create their own learning path because mm -hmm. they're going to be doing that the rest of their lives. I think what's interesting about learner agency is it's not only good for our students, but it's also good for our teachers and our leaders too because as adults – What's the most uh, inspiring professional development that we could possibly have, that professional development in which we have high levels of agency typically uh, in, in those activities? You're so right, yeah. And, and our parents as well, you know, they probably uh, enjoy their job at a high level when they have that kind of learner agency. Um, and so we do have parents though that probably don't have that learner agency or don't really understand 
um, what learner agency is. So as leaders, how do we advocate for a change such as learner agency or any change uh, that we're talking about here in the classroom? Uh, and what are some tips that we can give to educating the community and parents as to why we want to make these changes? Why do we want our learners to have more agency? Um, what, what suggestions do you have for us to, to communicate the reasons, the why for those changes? So I was having a conversation with my grandmother. She is 90 years old wow. and, and she is still living full steam. She actually spends half the year in London, half the year in the United States. Wow. She works in a thrift shop in London. Uh, she's traveled to India to set up thrift shops there. She is 90 years old and she is still moving. And uh, she, she had read my books and she was asking me some questions about them. And it was a really interesting perspective because – People that were my grandmother's age or 90 years old, um, they were just happy when their kids got steady jobs and could bring home an income to support their family. And I think, you know, I know when I talk to my parents and a lot of parents of our current students, they want more for their kids. They really do. I, most of our parents want more for our kids, but the narrative is broken. They think that the way they can help their kids get more is by helping them get good grades, which will eventually lead to them getting into a good college, which will eventually lead to them getting a good job and having a good life. Mm -hmm. And that is the narrative. Sadly, it just doesn't work like that. If you look at any of the research out there, I know Breitbites did a, um, did a white paper on the, the current state of work, the future of work. It was fantastic because it's so much research. When you look at it, what you're seeing is there are so many underemployed people. Uh, I would say, you know, my sister would be one of them. And I think many of us have family members that'd be one of them. They are graduated from great colleges. Many of them have their master's degrees, but they're underemployed. They're working and doing jobs just to get by instead of actually doing work that has a true purpose for them. And so I think it's through telling our, our parents stories. It's to show them uh, what the actual research looks like there on, on the actual kind of work um, that is that is happening right now. And I don't think they see all the pieces, right? You know, uh, I would love to do a book study with parents and just have them read The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman. Mm -hmm. Because I think educating them as to what our current state is and what the future state of work is going to be is almost as important as anything we do um, as leaders and teachers because I think our students are starting to get it. There, there's a lot of students that are understanding they have to take more of an entrepreneurial route and they're being more entrepreneurial in school and outside of school. But a lot of times what's pulling them back to that traditional path, that good grades, good college, good job, is their parents. Mm -hmm. And so I think having complete dialogues um, – with the community around that. And, and the problem is a lot of times, and as both of you know, as educators, um, it's tough to get a forum for that dialogue to happen, mm -hmm. right? You know, we, we have community events, we have parent nights, we have online forums. And quite honestly, it's tough um, to have a, a level of urgency around mm -hmm. that. And so, you know, I've seen some schools bring in some pretty uh, famous people to talk about it because sometimes we pay more attention to famous people. <laughs> but... <laughs> You think, you know, as school leaders, as teachers, we just need to start talking about what the real narrative is versus what the narrative I think many of our parents believe is. And that's kind of a place to start the conversation. And, 
you know, we've certainly experienced some of that that you're talking about in terms of, uh, you know, we'll offer a coffee and conversation and we'll get a handful of people. We offered a visioning session. We had only three people show up to, to talk with us. So certainly can empathize with that. Um, one way we can get our story out there and change the narrative is by talking about um, using social media and technology. What is the role of social media and technology and how can it help us um, in this transformation for teaching and learning? Well, it's where the attention is. So mm -hmm. when, when people talk about technology and social media, um, I think sometimes we, we overstate um, the, the actual importance. And the importance is it's where the attention is. It's where our students' attention is. It's, it's where our parents – it's where our attention is, right? Um, that's where we spend a majority of our time, multitasking, communicating with people, talking with people. And that kind of extension of our brain and our lives is very real. And so the role of technology and social media in transforming teaching and learning is we need to shift where we're putting our attention and how we're communicating with students and how we're communicating with our communities as a whole, whenever somebody is learning, it starts with attention, right? They can't, you can't learn something. If somebody's listening to this right now, but they're not really listening to it, right? They have it on the background and they read a book or they're having a conversation, they can't learn anything from it. And so you have to have attention. That's normally because they're interested in something or it's out of necessity, right, for that attention. And that's where social media and technology is. You think about the transition from like radio to TV, I would say right now, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat are the NBC, ABC, CBS of our current generation. That is where the attention is of our students. That's where we can connect with them. And so when you hear people saying, well, I don't know if I want to get started with that whole remind thing and sending students text messages, well, why wouldn't you? That's what they're looking at. 99% of text messages are read and under 50% of emails are even opened. Uh, social media, the same thing. That's where they're hanging out. That's where their attention is. And so the transformation is subtle. It's, it's us still doing what's best for students, but transitioning to a different platform. And mm -hmm. so I think social media and technology help us do two things that always matter in education, and that's be more human and more social. It's mattered for the longest time. It still matters now. That's our platform to do it. And ironic that you're sharing the idea about using technology and social media to be more human and more social. Interesting. Let's move the conversation from technology to time. How do we need to think differently about the use of time? Schools traditionally have this paradigm of time where it's very limited and it's packed with all sorts of things. So as we want to move towards a different vision for, for teaching and learning, how do we need to rethink or think differently about time, how teachers use it and how students use it? Well, we have um, just over 14,000 hours of class time between K to 12. And that's a lot of time. And I think we have to start looking macro at how we use our time. Too much of it is looking at it on the micro level. What are we spending that 45 minutes in a class? And we talk about things, and, and a lot of research has been done on that micro level. Like we know that learning happens best in 10 minute chunks, right? We know from the research that that happens. But I think what we don't do a good job of saying, okay, 
in our K through 12 experience, or if you're a high school person, just in our high school experience or, mid, or middle school or elementary, in that experience, those 14,000 hours, what should we be focusing on? What type of activities should take up the majority of that time? Is it okay for 85% of that 14,000 hours to be spent with students sitting in desks? Because if I told you and I told a parent that 11,000 hours students are going to spend sitting in desks, they probably wouldn't be happy. We wouldn't be happy for our own kids. But we don't ever think big picture. And so what we need to do differently about time is, is take it almost like that understanding by design, right? Like take it all the way back, that backwards design. In those 14,000 hours, what is the percentage of time students should be creating and making? What is the percentage of time they should be inquiring and having their own choice? What is the percentage of time they should be actually taking standardized tests? What is the percentage of time they should be having? And there's, there's all those different things that we need to talk about bigger. And then think about, okay, those hours are already structured and a lot of them are dictated by the state. So let's make the best use of them. Mm -hmm. Because when you go down to the teacher level, right, when you're saying to a teacher, figure out how to make the best use of your 45 minutes of time, well, a lot of that 45 minutes of time has already been dictated for them. It's already been told to them how they should use the majority of those hours. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have much of a choice to change it. That's, it's why so many teachers write me emails and say, I love 20% time or genius hour, but I just can't do it. My current curriculum, my current state of, of, of where I work doesn't allow me that enough time. And, and so we're dealing with these micro changes when really as an entire K through 12 spectrum, it needs to be overhauled in terms of what our students are spending time doing. 30 years ago, I get it. We were in a scarcity mode. There was not um, access to information and uh, creative power. But right now, I'm holding a cell phone in my hand that most of our students have. And it's the most powerful learning, creation, and communication tool in the history of mankind and we're not even using it in our schools during that time. And so that to me is the, the biggest dichotomy right now in schools when mm -hmm. we talk about time. We're, we're like, let's change our schedule. Let's do – no, no. Let's look big picture. Let's talk about what we actually do in those 14,000 hours. Let's break it down about what we do. And I think a lot of people will be very surprised of where their time is spent. So you mentioned standardized testing and teachers feeling the pressure of their curriculum. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how personalized learning um, can be integrated with the PA core standards or other content area standards? Yeah, so I think um, any good learning program has always had standards um, attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, this is a history of time. You, know, you had Aristotle and Plato that had standards, that had norms for what their students would learn. And um, I think 20, 30, 100 years from now, we're still going to have standards. Um, the, the problem when we think about personalized learning is that we think about complete freedom, and it's not that. Choice and inquiry um, in schools is not about freedom. It's about ownership. And um, you can give students choice in their content and they can still hit a variety of skills. You can give 
uh, students a choice in how much time they spend on something, and they're still going to be able to hit standards. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, when I look at the PA core or even the, the common core standards, I see a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I think when you, when you remove the terminology from it and you share that with a lot of educators, they would say the same thing. The problem most people have is the way that we're assessing these standards mm -hmm. is through very traditional means. Mm -hmm. And when you have traditional measurements, then you end up getting traditional testing most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the personalized learning component um, and, and kind of the innovative learning component is let's talk about different ways where we can assess whether or not students know and understand and are able to do this. Like that's really what it gets down to. When they create a video and post it online and are interacting with people in the comments, are we seeing reading, writing, you know, speaking, listening skills? Mm -hmm. Of course we are. Um, but I think it's harder to assess those in a standardized fashion. Mm -hmm. And that is where the real time comes into play because um, when you assess non-traditionally, it takes more time as a teacher to put some type of framework, grades, whatever you want to call it, on how well a student performed. So for me, you know, yeah, are they compatible? Sure. But we need to think about different performance tasks. Mm -hmm. We need to think about how we're connecting the standards to what students are actually doing and then how we're assessing that. That to me is the, the real divide right now. And you still see, and I know both of you see this too, where I was on the vendor floor at PTNC, at ISD this last year, and I still see that most of the personalized learning programs or blended learning programs that are out there are still giving kids quizzes mm -hmm. and giving kids standardized type of assessments. And I don't think that the creators of, of those programs truly understand what happens when you give students ownership, that you're still going to need real teachers to say whether or not students are understanding or doing appropriately as uh, up to the standard level. Uh, and that's the disconnect that I see now. So you're a leader in a district that's uh, moving things towards inquiry and innovation. So what suggestions do you have for us and for other leaders who are trying to do the same work? So I, I would suggest you doing a reflection on your district. And you could do this with a small group of teachers, which is always a really good way to start, right? You know, um, having that small innovative leadership team um, is a good place to start and kind of building out from there. But I, I would really focus on four questions. What are we allowing students to do? Right? What, what are we actually allowing them to do? What are we making time for students to do? Right? Um, what are we supporting in terms of student work? And what are we praising, looking for, assessing, whatever word you want to use there? Because when you start asking those questions, that's when the good conversations come up. Because you'll see in one classroom, they're allowing students to use technology and they're allowing them to um, you know, go and, and talk and interview people and they're allowing them so many different types of things in collaboration. And then you'll see in another classroom, they're making time for mastery learning, for students to redo things, to show how they understand something in different ways. And you start seeing this disconnect that in the innovative classrooms, students are allowed to do different things. Their teachers are making time for different things. They're supporting different types of work, and they're praising and assessing different things as well. 
And it's not until we unearth what that's, what's happening that we can actually start moving forward. I think we have to do a really big kind of self-reflection, self-assessment. Hattie says that self-reflection, self-assessment is the best indicator of learning and growing is number one. And um, we fail to do that as leaders a lot. You know, I'm, I'm somebody the same way. I'm going, 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 moving to this thing, to this thing, to this thing. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the best thing I can do as a learner, I'm not doing or practicing. And so asking those questions repeatedly and kind of having those checks uh, by yourself in small teams, as staff, as department, as grade level teams, man, that can bring up some really great dialogue um, and help people move forward. Some great questions for us to think about and um, consider using with our, our teacher teams and leadership teams. So as we bring our interview to a close here, um, AJ, what are the beautiful questions you're currently thinking about in your role? So I, this could go on forever. I'm only going to give you two. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm consistently thinking, you know, I have four young kids and um, I'm, I'm scared, quite honestly, of, of what not the, just their education is going to look like, but also kind of their future. Um, because I see that things are progressing at a speed in terms of technology and our advancements, you know, you look at artificial intelligence, how it's progressing, and you look at virtual reality, how it's progressing, and augmented reality and biotech, and you look at how these things are, if you really look at how they're progressing, it's, it's scary because we aren't progressing fast enough to, to catch up with them. So I think one of the biggest questions in my mind right now is, I know that four things have always mattered for learning, and I think that they're always going to matter, right? And they're they're the human, the social, the meaning-centered, and the language-based sides of learning, right? They've always mattered. And, and my big question I'm thinking about is how uh, will advancements in technology allow us to make more meaning-centered, language-based, social, human? Like how can they enhance those things that have always worked when we talk about learning? Because otherwise, if we don't see that connection, then we see those things as a threat, and as soon as we start seeing artificial intelligence and virtual reality and augmented reality and the biotech, these things as threats, then we lose what we're supposed to be doing as educators, which is giving kids opportunities um, because they're coming through kind of our educational system. So that's the big question I'm asking. And then a smaller question that I'm asking is, you know, how do we realistically, how do we realistically give kids an opportunity to be creative um, because there are constraints, especially in a public school. You two work in a, in a public school and there's constraints. Um, and I find that so many students, by the time they get to high school, don't see themselves as creative. But then everything you read is saying that businesses and colleges and all these different places want creative students. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a huge gap, right, where our students have kind of been playing this game of school and haven't had that many opportunities to be creative. And so that's just the other big question I'm asking. Realistically, you know, how can we give students opportunities to be creative? Because they're going to have to be creative problem solvers the rest of their life. And uh, we need to do a better job of giving them those opportunities. 
I really connect with your <clears throat> your first question, your earlier question. I think um, the more that we interview people for this podcast, and if I look back even just five years and see how much the real world has changed and how rapidly it's changed, yeah. and at the glacial pace that education has changed, and I'm worried as well uh, in the sense of what's it going to be like five, 10 years from now? And how big is that gap going to be? And what do we need to do now to make sure that that's not a big gap too? So there seems to be more and more urgency um, that's being created the more that the more people we talk to and, and the more uh, knowledge we seem to acquire. I'm, I'm definitely um, relating to that curiosity and question that you shared first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's scary, but it's also exciting, right? To, so I think you have both of those things because there's so many students who we aren't reaching right now that we may be able to reach with these advancements. And so that's like the positive side. I just hope we can stay on that side of things um, and have some leaders that are able to experiment and try because, you know, Randy and Lynn, it's hard to do something for the first time in a school district. Mm -hmm. If somebody else has done it, then you can reference, oh, well, this school district did this or this school. It's really hard to be the first one or you know, to be the only one. And I think often when we talk about failure and the need for that in schools and everything, we are kind of being cautious about that. Mm -hmm. We're not actually saying we want you to be the first. We don't, aren't saying we want you to be the ones that try to go to the moon. We're saying, oh, five other schools went there? Yeah, why don't you give it a shot too? Mm -hmm. And so I think that what happens with this progressive pace of technology is we really just need to let some teachers and let some schools be proactive in their experimenting. Mm -hmm. um, and if we don't, then we're going to find ourselves on the kind of the opposite side uh, where a lot of people are saying, you know, what's the, what's the need for schools? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is a very exciting time in education, despite the sense of urgency. There's so many possibilities mm -hmm. and so many opportunities. And I just hope that we can take advantage of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's exactly what I was thinking, Randy, running through my head. So many possibilities. So thank you so much to AJ for joining us. Um, in the show notes, you can find some resources to learn more about AJ's work. Uh, visit AJ's blog at ajgiuliani.com. You can follow AJ on Twitter at ajgiuliani. Uh, both books are linked there, Inquiry and Innovation in the Classroom, as well as Learning by Choice. Uh, we'll link to that Bright Bites study, that white paper that AJ mentioned. Um, also, the self-reflective conversation questions, which we hope to use with some of our teachers and leaders. And you can even access AJ's innovative teaching toolbox if you subscribe to his site. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, what are the greatest challenges to moving learning towards inquiry and projects? How are you working to overcome those challenges? And what would you like to learn more about to make the shift? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org. Look for season two, episode 22. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes. Let us know your star rating and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, AJ. All right. Bye. Thanks again for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.